This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. That's right, the best bit of your week is back. It is time for the world's best construction podcast. I am Fred Mills, founder, face, voice of the B1M, which is the world's largest, most subscribed to video platform for construction. In case you hadn't gathered, in case we hadn't told you that enough times on this podcast so far. And as always, I'm joined by two of my favourite people. Not my favourite people, but two of my pretty much top 10 favourite people, I would say. We've got Luke Bly, one of our content producers in charge of podcasting. And also the B1M's Chief Revenue Officer, Lord Liam Marsh. How are you guys doing? Let's start, let's start with Luke this week. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, being, a bit, being a bit busy lately, you know, with uh, house stuff, boring stuff. This stuff takes for ages. It takes forever to buy somewhere, apparently. Um, but you know that, didn't you, mate? So I'm not going to bore you too much with it. But I'm, I'm just shocked at how much things cost and how how long it takes uh liam i believe it's, you've been through something similar right yeah mate it, it's a the least enjoyable experience of my of, of ever experience it just seems it's to just drag boring. there's issues yeah it does and just like everyone gets all worked up and just oh mate yeah it, it kind of takes the over. fun out of it right takes the fun out of it a little bit the initial stage of buying it like yes like i won at auction like yeah um right well, and I was, like, <laughs> I was like I was pumped up. I was like, yes, I nailed it. I beat four four other uh, bidders. Um, and then, yeah, and then the bank stuff, the conveyance and stuff. I was just like, oh, it's just, just over it. But other than that, um, I'm good, mate. I've uh, On theme with this week's podcast, I've been doing a bit of cycling, getting out and about in the mm. sun, getting my getting some rays, rays on my uh, my bald head. It's nice. Yeah, vitamin D. Yeah. Well done, mate. Vitamin D. Yeah. Vitamin. 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 <laughs> However you want it. <laughs> Wearing Fred, a helmet, you- I hope, Liam. <laughs> not not oh. getting raised directly on your head, or unless your head is yeah, like I've got as a tan lines from the helmet, mate. Little red <laughs> lines on the top of my head. <laughs> lovely, lovely. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah, busy, usual, usually crazy week on the B1M. I'm really enjoying working with our team on creating some awesome content. We're really trying to up the production quality at the moment. We're going deeper and bigger on the stories and. Putting together good videos about this industry is not my favorite thing to do, other than podcasting, of course. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been good to work on all that stuff. Uh, And we've got a little cracker, an absolute little banger of a show coming your way this week, guys. We are going back and looking at two of the biggest hits from this year uh, across the B1M and tomorrow's build. So we've got Why a Billionaire Tried to Stop This Bridge on the B1M, the Arctic City where everyone cycles on tomorrow's build, also in the news, we're looking at New York's $7 billion plan to expand and upgrade its iconic Penn Station. 
There's also funny comment of the week and some of your emails. Let's do it. So first up this week, guys, we've got why a billionaire trying to stop this bridge. Probably one of our most successful, uh, most engaging videos we produced on the B1M earlier this year. Came out earlier in 2022. I think well over a million views now. I think something like 1.4, 1.5 million views. It's been a, it's been a big hit for us. Now this story all centers around the 5.4 billion dollar new Gordy Howe International Bridge, which is the longest cable stayed bridge in North America. It runs between Detroit, which is in the US, for anyone that doesn't know, and Windsor, which is in Canada, which is hence why it's called an international bridge. That's a major, major route for trait. Now, this might not all sound very exciting, but there is a, as you might guess from the title, a much bigger, more interesting story going on here. It's not just an epic, multi-billion dollar, massive cable stayed bridge. There's a bit more to this story. Bit of context for you, and a bit more about this bridge. In 2021, Canada overtook China as America's top trading partner with something like $664 billion worth in goods being exchanged between the two countries. Pretty incredible. You'd think that China would be America's kind of major trading partner. It's not. It's Canada, directly to the north of the country. Almost a quarter of all that trade that happens between Canada and the USA happens in detroit over this river crossing so it's pretty it's pretty important it's pretty uh you know major piece of infrastructure for for u.s trade now the gordy howe bridge is a huge feat of engineering itself stretches for 853 meters across the detroit river it is a monumental undertaking of the project as you might imagine being 5.4 billion dollars They've broken it up into four sections. So there's a load of roadworks at a new interchange junction in Michigan, which is the least exciting bit, it's fair to say. There is the US point of entry and kind of border control system. There's the Canadian port of entry, and then the actual massive feat of engineering, the bridge itself. So as you can see, not it's not just the bridge, it's all the infrastructure around it. It's a huge, huge feat of uh, construction, engineering, and infrastructure. Structures being held up by cables that fan out directly from two main towers. So with a cable stayed bridge, you've got these two towers, either side of the Detroit River, 220 metres high each, which are going to bear the weight of the road. Mm. One of those towers is being built in the USA. One of those towers is being built in Canada. So they're being built by kind of different teams. They're all part of the same product team, but different teams either side of the river, either side of this international border. Now, a cable state bridge is a bit different from a suspension bridge. So a suspension bridge, think of the Golden Gate, that's where you have two towers normally and then a big suspender cable across them with smaller cables hanging down which the road is hung off. With a cable state bridge, you've got cables coming from the towers directly down to the bridge road sections. These new towers on the Gordie Howe Bridge have been designed to look like an ice hockey stick because the bridge is <laughs> named after a famous Canadian ice hockey player. Ice hockey is a big deal in this part of the world. Um, and these kind of bending bridge piers, we've been told, are designed to look like ice hockey sticks, apparently. Would, you, would that come across to you, Luke? No. Not really. <laughs> I didn't really get that vibe, but we'll allow it, I suppose. Now... Where the controversy comes in is that this isn't the first bridge over this 
extremely important piece of water between the USA and Canada. There's actually an existing crossing here, the 92-year-old Ambassador Bridge, which is privately owned by the late Manuel Moron. He took it over in the 1970s until he passed away, uh, I think, in the 2010s. His family now, now own it. Up to 500 trucks cross his bridge every hour at peak times, paying $45 each to cross that bridge. Now, as you can imagine, that's quite a nice little earner. When the Gordie Howe Bridge was proposed back in 2004, this guy, this billionaire, saw it as a threat to his revenue and basically did everything he could to try and stop the Gordie Howe Bridge being built, which is pretty incredible. So he sued the governments of Canada and Michigan, uh, but lost. He put forward an idea for his own bridge. Instead of Gordie Howe, he thought, how about I build a bridge? But he would own it and he would still charge for it, therefore securing his revenue streams. He then went to politics, so he spent millions of dollars trying to pass a ballot measure that would make it harder to get the bridge approved. That law didn't pass, didn't get through. He then ran cable TV adverts asking then-President Trump to block its construction. We put some of those uh, cable TV adverts in the video. They're hilarious to watch. It starts with, like, Dear Mr. President, there's a bridge (laughs) being built between here that you've got to stop. Stand up for the people of Michigan, all this kind of stuff. Um, long story short, despite spending loads and loads of time and money, decades worth of time and money, and putting all of his resources and energy into stopping the Gordie Howe Bridge, he failed, and construction work on Gordie Howe began in 2018. It's now being built and constructed, and will open soon. Probably damage. I mean, it's not gonna. It's going to increase capacity on this, on this huge trading route. It will damage revenue on the Ambassador Bridge, not completely because you know, it's still going to be running and opening. So, yeah, pretty pretty dramatic story. What do you guys make of this? I find it mind blowing that a civilian owns such an important piece of infrastructure, and it's an international crossing, mm-hmm. right? In, in 2022, it actually blows my mind that this family can own that bridge. Spot on. Yeah, spot on. I think it's the, the the irony is as well, is this guy seems to be like anti free market as well, even though he is benefiting ridiculously from owning a bridge. Um and I, I, I really don't get it. I don't get how you can be against another bridge being built, even though there is clearly a lot of pressure and a lot of issues with the supply chain, right? This bridge is causing because it's so busy. Um, it's a no-brainer. When you've got that much trade going from A to B, you're going to want to ease transportation between the two, aren't you? And if if that means building another bridge, I just don't see how... Like, And it kind of goes back to what Liam said. I'm, I'm shocked that we're so reliant on a private bridge owned not by just a company. It's a guy. And his family. So, um, yeah, most toll bridges and uh, any privately owned infrastructure in the US was generally taken over by state highway departments or the federal government kind of during the 20th century. But a right. handful of toll bridges still remain in private ownership, including this 92 years old Ambassador Bridge. Um, you're saying you can't see why anyone would want to block this, Luke. I can 100% see why. It's because of yeah. money. <laughs> oh well yeah yeah of course of course yeah yeah 
What did you say? Yeah. 45 trucks. Well, no, no what, what was the stats before? 500 trucks. So on a quiet day in 2021 during the pandemic, 263 trucks crossed the four-lane bridge every hour. But at peak, it's 500 trucks an hour paying $45 each. That's 22500 an hour for those. Yeah. Shocking. Some, some we should build a bridge. A <laughs> we should build a bridge. <laughs> Let's build a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Unreal. I think, uh, I think oh, obviously there's the, the profit that comes into it, but that's, that's the problem here, isn't it? This is kind of the uh, typical story of interest of, you know, one person or a family versus the interest of, in this case, two countries, two nations, two whole peoples. And um, I don't think, I, I always try to view things like this, like as balanced as possible, I try to look at the pros and cons from both sides. For balance. I can't, for, for balance, there we go, Fred, you know it, you love it, we all love it, the kids love it. But <laughs> I think with with something like this, I can't see why you wouldn't build another bridge other other than the fact that this guy's going to lose some profits, not all his profits. Like it sounds like he's thinking, oh, I'm going to be losing all my fortune. Not that he's already wealthy enough. He probably is. But, oh, mate, it just it, it, it really puts him in a bad light. I can't help but feel that. Obviously, there might be some things that I'm not aware about, right? Like maybe the location of the new bridge is uh, uh, affecting neighborhoods or something like that. Is it? Is it Fred? Do you know if that is or the no? Case, or? It's, it's been. I mean, obviously, with with anything like this, there is some incidental stuff. There's some collateral that goes with it, and it will, you know, result in some changes of land use. But where it's been positioned is is reasonably considerate. Some people are are affected, but there is there's been no sort of major backlash from this. It's it's just there is actually a map in the video that we show and also on our, on our website. It's not too far. I mean, it's like a handful of blocks, maybe ten blocks along the river. It's not far away. Um, right, because it's trying to address the traffic problem in that in that key area, and yeah, I think for me this this taking aside the the craziness of the the billionaire trying to block it story, it shows again. Like, I'm banging on about it again, but it shows the power of construction and the power of infrastructure. You know, this bridge is linking two countries, Canada and the USA, and it's enabling an enormous amount of trade. It's enabling the economy, which has a knock-on effect to people's standard of living and, and their lives. You know, it's yep. it shows you how consequential construction projects can be and how important they can be. It also shows how political construction projects can be um, and also how much money and how much business there is in infrastructure, construction, buildings, mm. bridges in this instance – there is so much money, and I think in everyday life, um, especially someone like me, you know, I'd consider myself an enthusiast. It's easy to lose sight of that. You know, it's easy to lose sight of no, these are huge, just like money machines. You know, whether it's a skyscraper or a bridge, and um, this is the, it's for me, mate. This is just a bit sad. I think it's a bit sad, and I think it's people losing sight of the magnificent engineering that has been accomplished in the last few hundred years you know something like this it is a huge deal and yet we're kind of there's this guy putting his foot down making it really difficult for again the the greater good the greater good to quote hot fuzz you know it's uh it's not great it's not great
Yeah, I know what you mean. It kind of speaks to, I think it speaks to a, a lot of America right now. There is, there's, there's a, there's an often quite a strong focus on, on financials, on money, on profit. Uh, there's some very, very wealthy people who have kind of an outsized level of influence and control over things. And yeah, you're right. It does kind of speak to, some of, some of the problems in our society right now, and it takes away right. from the, the bigger engineering side. I mean, I have to say, I know I've talked about it already, the engineering of this is insane. This is not a small stretch of water. I know it's called a river, but this is it's particularly wide at this point. If you look at some of the, the footage, the drone shots, the imagery is absolutely incredible in this video. These bridge piers, you know, 220 meters high, that's a decent-sized skyscraper. You know, that's, that's a big building, and the concrete piers they're putting up, are epic they've they've then gone on on top of the kind of the jump core systems they're using to build the concrete cores they've got the american flag with the like american eagle on one side and they've got the canadian flag on the other side it's very it's very like they've branded them very clearly yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um it's epic and the way they build this stuff is incredible see they, they put the first bridge section on and they tie the cables up to the top and then they use that to work from and cantilever out and build the next bridge section and then a crane takes those cables and ties those onto the top of the the tower and they keep going out across the river doing that until these uh two sort of cantilevered sections meet in the middle again we've got a really good graphic on that in the video um it's worth saying one of the unsung heroes of the people name is a guy called vince north he's our motion graphics uh, senior motion graphics designer he's absolutely incredible at what he does he's the guy behind many of the motion graphics you see in many of our videos he designed and built the one uh, in this video as well. Not got an engineering background, so often we uh, we kind of like describe to him what's happening, but then he goes and draws it up and designs it in these these graphics and these sequences, which are absolutely incredible. He's um, someone you don't hear a lot about externally on the B1M, but behind the scenes, he he makes a lot of the magic happen. So shout out to Vince. <laughs> well, I'm just going to shout out Eminem and Eight Mile because in the film Eight Mile, you see a lot of the Ambassador Bridge. Is like B-roll. So shout out to Vince and shout out to Eminem and Detroit. So yeah. okay. <laughs> we should have had that for the soundtrack of the film, shouldn't we? That yeah, dun, we dun, 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 dun. <laughs> banger, absolute banger. <laughs> A funny thing I um we're not mentioning Fred is uh the 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 shameless self-promotion of the Fred Mills B1M mug at the start of the video. <laughs> So that was something that uh, Aaron, our video editor, senior video editor, came up with. That wasn't my idea. But we basically started this video by saying, if you've tried to buy anything recently, you probably find there's been some delays with the global supply chain. It isn't really functioning right now. It's not it's not operating as it should be. And we use that as an in to talk about how a lot of the trade in the US comes through Canada. A lot of things people buy in the US comes come through Canada. Uh, and as an example of a product you might buy, Aaron knocked up a fred mills mug mug it's basically my face on a mug at the start of the video it was like, it was like a joke of something someone would buy online leaning into it we made those mugs available in our merchandise store for the date the video was released so people could buy a fred's mug mug if they wanted one um we've actually <laughs> we've actually sold 143 fred mills mugs 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 off the back of that video so there you go in 143 kitchens around the world, my face That's is gracing the dishwasher or <laughs> the cupboard. Yeah. One thing we found out the other day was James, our head of video, his wife actually bought herself a Fred Mills mug. 
Do you know about that? He didn't. He didn't know about. It. He just turned yeah. up and he, she'd, uh, in her ov- obviously clear yeah. desire to have me amongst her crockery. I, I think <laughs> she was doing it quite sneakily, mate. I don't think she was going to tell James. I think she was keeping it for herself. There you go. Yeah. There you go. We, were you one of these 143 people, Liam? Would you? Did you decide to buy a Fred Mills mug? Mug? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Neither, neither was my wife. <laughs> Out of order, mate. She gets enough. She gets to wake up next to us every day. Yeah, she's lucky lady. Lucky lady. <laughs> lucky lady. I get, to, I get to stare at your face for the majority of the day on um, Slack and Zoom, so that's enough for me, mate. Yeah, you're, you're a lucky man <laughs> as well. <laughs> if you would like a Fred Mills mug mug, they're very reasonably priced. They, I think they're about a tenner. I think because that's like the minimum price you can oh. set them at. So like a tenner in the UK might be more expensive internationally or cheaper internationally, depending where you are. But uh, yeah, it's a bargain. We'll stick a link up. <laughs> Go and get one. Next up this week, we are going over to one of our biggest hits over on tomorrow's build, the Arctic City where everyone cycles. So right now we are heading to the city of Ulu in Finland, which is just south of the Arctic Circle. I know it's not in the Arctic, but you can't. You, we had to kind of lean into the title. Like, we just called it the Arctic City where everyone cycles. It's close to the Arctic. It sounds better. We, we went with that. Um, this city, incredibly, has 943 kilometers of fully segregated cycle paths, and almost everyone cycles there, despite the absolutely freezing temperatures. Now, if you're anything like me, I look out the door, and if it's slightly overcast, slightly raining, I'll go, yeah, nah, don't fancy that, I'm going to jump in my car today. These guys <laughs> do, do it all the time. This city is massively invested in cycling infrastructure. 99% of those 943 kilometers of bike paths are lit. And there's even a system that projects markings onto the routes when they're hard to see, either at night or because of snow buildup, those kind of things. They've really gone big on, I think, making the cycle infrastructure safe, effective, easy to use. There's a drainage system so that melting snow runs off straight away. It doesn't refreeze as ice over the over the paths. Any packed ice is ploughed with a special toothed blade that creates ridges to help give bikes traction on the bike paths. They have a snow clearing contractor who's like dedicated to clearing snow off the paths. So if it gets over like two centimeters or something during the day or over four centimetres during the night, they have to instantly kick in and, and clear the paths. Uh, and they're incentivized so they get a bonus or a sanction, uh, and that's measured against user satisfaction score. So they kind of the, they've got the contractor very invested in keeping these paths up and running and, and functioning as, as well as they can do. The result is that this city has basically made it easier to cycle somewhere than to drive there's very low levels of congestion. There's very low levels of pollution. They're killing it in terms of like how you design a sustainably designed city. Really shows what's possible when you design for bikes. And I think in the wake of the pandemic, a lot of cities around the world are looking to places like this. It's obviously quite an extreme example, but they're looking to places like this, going, look, if these guys can do it in the snow, we've got pictures here of mm-hmm. kids cycling through the snow to get to school in this video. Then why can't we do it as well? You know, there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing that. Um, really good interview in this video as well. So we spoke to a guy called Pekka Zakola, who was Ulu's cycling coordinator between 2019 
sorry, between 2013 and 2019, he did his interview for this over Zoom while riding his bike in the snow. And we <laughs> were like, are you sure you want to do this? Is it safe for you to do this right now? Uh, are you okay to talk to us while you're on your bike? Uh, but he did it. It was great because the bike paths are are so safe. What do you, what do you, as a keen cyclist, Liam, what do you make of this? Okay. I, well, I like, I, I think I'm a keen bike rider. I don't, I wouldn't say cyclist. I don't strap on the, um, uh, the Lycra and things like that. Um, which I've been out, people have asked me that, um, before. So <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's a bike rider's dream. I think the, the best way to get around a city is to ride a bike. You see so much more of it. it, it it's, it, you're getting a bit of exercise. Um, it, it's fantastic. I think what they've done creating such a, such good infrastructure as well, it's, it's obviously really safe. What, what I, from my experience, I, you know, I rode, um, a bike to work and around London for, for six, seven years. It's quite dodgy. I got, ta- I've been taken out by guys on mopeds. I've been hit by cars, things like that. Not like bad, but like, you know, clip me and things like that. Um, so it was quite, it's quite dodgy. And I think even more so being in Sydney, um, Sydney drivers tend to hate cyclists, I think, and the infrastructure is not really there. There's a lot of aggression towards bike riders because there's no segregation lines. It, it's literally in a lot of places, especially in the main city, it's just a line and the streets are quite narrow. Um, I, I'd actually, I actually think Sydney is more dangerous to ride a bike around than London. So seeing cities like this, developing this and, and you know putting safety at the overall everything else, I think is a great thing to see. Yeah, I think a lot of places can learn from these uh, from these sort of projects and towns. Cycling is sustainable. It's healthy. It's good for people. One of the places that um, really left an impression on me when it comes to like cycling and how much I saw of it in the city was Copenhagen. In Copenhagen, in Denmark, there were cyclists everywhere, and they got these like specialist bridges going round you know, certain buildings and islands along the river and it's just for cyclists. It's really well lit. It's really, really safe. Um, But to see it, again, like what you were saying, Fred, like seeing this sort of extreme where it is just on the doorstep of the Arctic, it's it's really impressive. Really, really, really impressive. Cycling is really beneficial for a lot of people. Um, But equally... I think I can't help but have this opinion that these are smaller places, right? You know, Absolutely. this place in Finland, very small. Copenhagen, very small. Denmark, small. Denmark has a smaller population than London, yeah? And even like um, Amsterdam, you know, Amsterdam is like the place to ride a bike, right? Like everyone, everyone on their aunt rides a bike in Amsterdam, don't they? It's a really good point, and we we make this point quite clearly in the video. There's a distinction here. There are some places that have really been designed as cycling-first cities and really quite heavily leaned into it, and Ulu is one of those. I think Amsterdam didn't start out as one of those. It's very much become a cycling city. As you say, some of the other places you mentioned, Luke, Copenhagen there, they naturally more lend themselves to cycling, or they've started out a very long time ago and made huge investments in cycling infrastructure. I think retrofitting segregated bike lanes to roads in cities where cars have had dominance for a long time can be quite dangerous. I think going to the, some of the stuff that you know, some of the points that Liam was making earlier, it can be quite dangerous because 
road users aren't used to cyclists on the road. They're not used to the rules. Cyclists aren't used to the rules. You get segregation. You get degrees of segregation. There's fully segregated bike paths. There's bike lanes. There's kind of like sharing lanes with these shallow things we talk about in the in the video. Um, so I think it's good that cities, existing big cities, are retrofitting bikes in, but it comes with risks because you're bringing bikes into a space that's been designed for cars. Unless mm-hmm. you go really big and create fully segregated bike routes, it becomes quite difficult to do it as effectively as other places. Um, hopefully, I'm hopefully I'm wrong with that. Hopefully, cities do go quite big on this, especially in the wake of the pandemic. The EU's earmarked two billion dollars in 2021 to invest in encouraging cycling. Sounds like a lot of money, but two billion dollars across the whole EU doesn't sound like it's going to go that far. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting what you're saying about um, Amsterdam, Luke, earlier because um, I think if anyone has been to Amsterdam and you've witnessed those bike lanes there you've got thousands literally thousands of of the locals on bikes speeding past you ringing their bells shouting at tourists i found um because it's quite easy to walk out in front of them right um it's quite an intimidating experience i know when i when i first went there i was like 20 or something like that um it's like how do i how do i navigate this yeah (laughs) there's that there's that yeah i can imagine i can imagine exactly that yeah it's just um i think a bit like uh, we used this word on another podcast uh the other week but it's like i i do think it's inspiring and i do think it's not necessarily an excuse for cities to go well cycling wouldn't work in our big city you know cycling is beginning to work in places like london not all not all parts of london that isn't feasible you know, we are talking about, again, chalk and cheese here. You know, Amsterdam has a population, I think, like what, like just below a million people, like 800,000, 900,000 people. That's equivalent to like somewhere like Leeds in Yorkshire, you know. It, th- these aren't big, big, big cities. Um, whereas, and in, on the video, right, there is a comment. I can't help but but bring this up. Because I noticed this throughout YouTube. There's always like a guy from somewhere like Holland or Denmark or like these countries that are very good at a lot of things. You know, some of my favorite places to visit. But it always starts off as, as a Dutchman. And I'm like, oh, right, this is going to be good, <laughs> isn't it? This is going to be good, right? Tell us how to live our, <laughs> tell us how bad we're doing in the rest of the world <laughs> and how we should be copying you guys. But he says, as a Dutchman, it always, it's always puzzling how horrific the bike lanes in most other countries are and how completely inept said countries apparently are in improving it. And it's like, oh, mate, that just like, that's like a stab and twist isn't it but it's not always that easy it's not that easy when you are it's easy to look at like a bike lane and say yeah just make a bike lane just do this just do that but it's so much more difficult and so much more than that to implement a service like that efficiently in somewhere like london or new york let's take new york for example definitely i think um trying to create these cycle lanes i've noticed like especially in london is there's so much pushback from the local communities um, because obviously you're effectively stripping down in some places like the road, right? Some you're, you're turning roads into one-way streets and things like that. Um, so there's always seems to be big pushback, which slows down these, these cycle highways. Yeah. And the, the guy in that comment said that they're inept, you know, at trying to do this, but you have to see this as a problem. 
right? You need to look at people driving too many cars, which is a problem, right? But a lot of people, a lot of folk won't see it as a problem. So if they don't see it as a problem, why do they need to fix it? It seems to them maybe like over-engineering. So the culture needs to change. And I think that's where, Fred, I think you said earlier, these are different places where they might have more of a history of cycling or maybe their city lends itself better yeah. to that. Some places definitely have more of a leg up than others by all sort, not just the physical infrastructure and the space, but the kind of cultural approach and how they feel about things anyway. I think a lot of cities' tactics when it comes to encouraging cycling or other forms of sustainable transport, as we've spoken about many times in this podcast, is to kind of make driving less convenient. So they, they kind of, part of this tactic here is to make driving a bit less convenient, whether it's through congestion charging or taking away car parks or, you know, cutting lanes to make, you know, cycling an easier choice. That's kind of part of the strategy, but the result in that is obviously that it does kind of piss off drivers quite a bit. Um, we do we do talk about both sides in the video. We recognise that some business owners are saying they're worried that bike lanes are going to reduce access to parkings. So people can't get to their businesses. It might affect deliveries for their business uh, or might create more traffic congestion. And yeah, they, they, this is the thing. This, is a, this isn't a simple route to, to follow. There are some difficult things here. It's going to be painful as we move our cities, try and wean our cities off cars or at least reduce the impact of cars. Because part of the strategy that seems to be the strategy of many local governments and city governments is to make driving a bit less convenient than it is right now. Right. And I suppose there's a way to do that. You know, there's a way to help people kind of see the light, you know, if that's what you're trying to do. Do you guys know the YouTuber? Fred, you might know him. Do you know the YouTuber Casey Neistat? Have you heard of <laughs> do that I, guy? Do I, have I heard of him? Do I know him? Yeah, might have cropped up once or twice. Yeah. Well, I thought because you're in YouTube, legend space, of YouTube. you might know it. I know, but it's shocking how many people don't know him. He's like one of my favorite YouTubers. He's absolutely Whoa, fantastic. I'm sitting right here, mate. What are you I doing? I know, Fred. I know. You know, you, you know you're my boy, man. You know that. It's a different sort of relationship. I don't even know this guy. I know yeah. you, though, so I've had a pint with you. So maybe we can try and arrange that. Get him on the podcast, mate. You do that, Fred. That's homework for you. But he did he did a video years ago called Bike Lanes. And it's kind of like a short film. It's three minutes long. And uh, I think he was cycling in New York. And he's trying to, you know, be a better citizen in effect. And um, he got, I think, a ticket from the police for cycling on a road, even though there was a bike path. But he made the point that, yeah, but the bike path's like filled with all this stuff. It's not actually safe. It's really, it's treated really bad. And uh, the police officer was like, no, I don't care. I'm going to find you. So he did this film and he was like, okay, well, I will just cycle on the bike path. And he was talking and he's like, Psych I, I, you guys go watch this on YouTube. Just like YouTube bike lanes by Casey Neistat. And uh, he's cycling in these lanes and there's all this stuff in them, but he would just cycle into them and crash. And he's videoed himself doing it. And he's like doing this monologue. It's only three <laughs> minutes long, but it proves the point beautifully that it was clear that New York City, the, the authority there, they said, yeah, let's do these bike lanes. Let's do this. Let's invest in that. But they didn't take it seriously. They didn't actually kind of, um, what's the word, uh, maintain the bike lanes. They didn't look after it. And they weren't really enforced when people would put stuff on there. No one got a ticket for it, but as soon as you're cyc cycling on the road, you get a ticket. 
And so that's sort of the bad culture that goes along with that. And I think that occasionally, maybe not specifically that example, but that can happen in cities like London, New York, or ever, wherever. So there's there's got to be a changing culture, right? 100%. I think often you're right, Luke. The intent is there. The desire to show some progress is there. But actually following through and delivering on it isn't there. We all know people like that, don't we? But uh, <laughs> one oh. of those things, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's important for it's good that this is part of the, the kind of global conversation now. It's good that this is something that's on City's radars. Uh, I think places like Ulu are an incredible case study. I was really pleased we made that video and to be able to make it with some of the people on the ground there who've really experienced it and can talk about it firsthand was awesome. And I think it's a really powerful case study, as I said, for other cities around the world to look to as we come out of the pandemic. You know, we've, we've had a taste of lockdown cities. We've had a taste of car-free streets and cleaner air. And everyone's like, oh, we quite like this. Let's, um, let's do this more often. And uh, yeah, I think it's encouraging times. It's just you've got to approach it in the right way. You've got to really invest in it properly. It can't be superficial. Now, staying in New York, also in the news this week, we have got the rather large ambitious plans to reimagine New York's iconic Penn Station. So the city's announced a near $7 billion plan to renovate the station and its immediate surroundings. Within the station itself, there's going to be a new single-level concourse, which is going to improve navigation. They're going to bring in loads of natural light. The renders look absolutely beautiful. Surrounding streetscapes are also going to be transformed. So they're going to basically pedestrianise some of these streets around the uh, around the station. There's going to be uh, new car-free corridors. They're going to plant trees down the streets. It all looks very green, very happy, very sunny. Uh, there are also plans as part of this for several new high-rise buildings with residential and office space, retail spaces, public facilities in and around the the station development. Huge, huge overhaul, kind of long overdue. It's going to transform the station itself. It's going to really improve the public space and the streets around the station. I think that story of pedestrianisation is something that New York has done in places. They've done it down around the World Trade Center in places, and it's worked really well, really effectively. Uh, the New York State government thinks that this four to five year project could help support 50,000 construction jobs. Uh, New York Governor Kathy Huckel said that the era of neglecting our Penn Station commuters and the neighbouring community is over. So they're holding this up as the future. They're finally going big and making Penn Station look nice and sexy. What do you guys make of it? I think it looks really good, mate. I think it looks really, really good. Um, I am loving the pedestrian areas um, and I'm loving the design, the natural light. See, I, I, I went to New York back in uh, 2016, and I stayed just around the corner from here. Like I could see Madison Square. It was the New Yorker Hotel, so you can literally see it over the street from uh, Madison Square Garden because that's what's in the background in a lot of these renders, right? Yeah, is uh, is that? And I thought Penn Station was a bit ropey as well. I was yeah. like, oh man, I don't really want to use this. That whole area, in fact, it's not. It wasn't, I should say, not not. It wasn't the nicest area or the nicest welcome to New York as a city, um, and so it's nice to see that that's going on. And and just behind this area, you've got now Hudson Yards, right? Fred's new favorite place. 
It's not. It's just a walk away. It's not that far. Yeah, it's not just behind. It's 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 some distance away. It's not. It's it's on the same sort of level. It's not too five far. Five minutes, mate. Five minutes walk. Yeah, a few blocks. Ten minutes. Blocks. Ten minutes walk. Depends how fast you're walking, mate. Fifteen minutes walk. Yeah, it's, it depends. Or if you're cycling or using bike lanes or not. I don't know. Uh, but uh, no, I think this is really needed for the area. Really, really needed because I think. Um, one thing I noticed when I went to New York was how sometimes unwelcoming the infrastructure or the walkways were, you know, and in my head, I thought it'd be a bit different to that. So when I arrived, I was almost, there was almost this culture shock of, oh, wow, no, this is really difficult to navigate. This isn't designed for people. It feels like it's kind of designed for a hybrid of cars and kind of just people that know the area really well. So this seems like a massive improvement, mate. Yeah, it desperately needs it. I think that that second render on our Instagram is it just speaks to all of it. It's you know you've got this pedestrianised street. It's made for people and bikes, not cars. There's trees. There's green space. It all looks a lot cleaner, more navigable, more easy to use because you know Penn Station is like a major transport community commuter hub into the city. Um, so yeah, about time, and it's going to look it's going to look great. Yeah, the natural light to it is a great addition. I think when you're in, um, especially in big cities, when you're surrounded by skyscrapers on the street, it can feel a bit dark sometimes. So letting that natural light in there, I think, is a great, great addition. Yeah, it's it's good to see US infrastructure finally getting so much investment off the back of. I mean, this is you know one of many projects, but off the back of the the Biden Harris infrastructure investment plan, the, bi- the bipartisan infrastructure bill, it's great to see so many things getting. An overhaul and an uplift. Uh, Washington DC station we spoke about a few months back. Um, Union Station there is getting another very light, airy, futuristic facelift, as are many other stations and infrastructure systems across the country. So yeah, good to see. Not before time, but uh, hopefully it makes a big impact on the on the city and the country. Guys, let us know what you think of the Penn Station upgrade. Are you a regular commuter through Penn Station? What do you make of it? What do you think of these plans? Are you excited? We think people are excited because on social media, this has always gone down really, really well. We've shared it a couple of times now and it gets thousands and thousands of likes. People seem to be very engaged. So, yeah, let us know what you think. Send in your emails, podcast at the b1m.com. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. We are gliding over to Mr. Liam Marsh, Lord Liam Marsh, the Chief Revenue Officer of the B1M, for funny comment of the week. What have you got for us, Liam? I've, I've hyped up now, mate. What have you got for wow. us? Wow. What an intro, mate. What what a bloody good intro. <laughs> Don't let us Thank down. You. Thank you. Okay, this <laughs> is this is more of a, a fun fact um, rather than funny comment of the week because uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, so this is actually a, a comment from the uh, massive development in Kuala Lumpur that we co- covered a couple of weeks ago um, on the B1M. Um, and there's, a, there's obviously a lot of... Um, a lot of scandal behind it, behind the invest- investors, behind the backers. Um, they also were the key investors in Battersea Power Station. Um, so Christian Devi has commented, the 1MDB, so 1 Malaysia Development Berhard scandal. So this is on that. Some of the money was actually used to produce Dumb and Dumber 2, the movie. I thought it was absolutely. <laughs> really? Yeah. Bizarre. I, I, I fact-checked it. I Googled it. What? Um, <laughs> and apparently it's true. 
Wow. I never saw him? that movie. I refused to yeah. watch that movie because I liked Dumb and Dumber 1 so much that yeah. I just couldn't bring myself to ruin that with Dumb and Dumber 2. It, did, yeah. it, did it have Jim Carrey in it and the other I guy? I think it did. They were old though, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Dumb and Dumber was a classic. Yeah, Great Dumb movie. and Dumber. That's oh. like, oh, 90s oh, gold. 90s movies are the best, man. Yeah. 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 But this goes to show once again, like what we said earlier, that this is big business, isn't it? Construction. And there are some naughty things that can happen in it. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't Follow get it. Money. I don't get how I don't care how you can go from something like this to something like that. I don't understand how that can happen. But yeah. there we go. Apparently it can. Good old Christian. Thanks for coming through with that, mate. It's quality. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for enabling us to chat about Dumb and Dumber for a bit because that's always uh, <laughs> always I appreciated. I know it's one of your favorite favorite movies, Fred. Oh, it's great. Well, not yeah. Oh, yeah, one of one of my top ten favorite movies. Not Waterworld, like you said the other the other day. Waterworld, classic, terrible. What? Which Waterworld? Yeah, have you seen it? Yeah, I've not seen that in a while, mate. I mean, have I a look. To, it's just as good as it yeah. was when you were ten years old. Maybe maybe we should uh, watch it together. Do a B one M event. Fred can like talk about sustainability. Um, yeah, followed cool. by Waterworld, just to remind you that if we don't <laughs> do sustainable construction, this is what's going to happen. And yeah. I doubt, Fred I doubt you get, get many people coming to that event, mate. Come watch Waterworld. What? You're not going to get much turnout to that, are you? Uh, I think. Hey, you would. remember that I bad video would. from the nineties? Come watch it no. with us. I, what are you talking? I think people would love that. They'd be all over it, Fred. Come on, people love it. <laughs> Especially Can I if you're some other better videos, some better videos, some videos on the brain. Can I highlight to you some other better movies from the nineties that I thought were pretty good? Mm. Yeah, go on. Mm. Some of my favourites: Shawshank Redemption. What a oh, film! Yeah, Classic. It's all right. It's it's good, Whoa, but it's just what? everyone just goes on about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of hearing about it. From I've the guy, seen it. Like a dozen from, times. From the guy who mm. ranks Waterworld. Let's just take that with a pinch of salt. Thanks, Liam. Jurassic Park, Independence Day. The original Mrs. Jurassic Doubtfire, Park. The, yeah, Jurassic Park 1, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Independence Day, Mrs. Doubtfire, Goldeneye, The Mask. Oh, The Mask. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say that. Home Alone? Nah. Richie Rich. Home Alone, classic, yeah. Titanic, right? Titan- did you say Titanic? Titanic. Titanic's yeah, in the there. The Phantom Amer- Menace, mate. Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Nah, you've classic, seen, you've spoiled it now. You've spoiled nah, it now, Luke. No, nah, it's wonderful. You, people it's just not. don't get it. People it's don't get terrible, it. terrible, terrible film, and it's spoils- George Lucas. George Lucas just ahead of his time. That's just classic Georgie boy. Oh, you know? yeah. I've, I've used that excuse before as well. When yeah. videos are flops. <laughs> Ahead <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> of my time, you don't get it. Cause I'm an artist. Yeah, that's it. That's it, mate. American that's Pie, it. Hook, Aladdin, The Lion King. What a decade goes on and on. Have you written this down, mate? I did make a little Was list. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like this. This is off the top of your head. That is uh, that is very impressive. No, because I was so annoyed when we had a previous chat about this uh, that I went back and googled and then made and then saved. You, you basically 10. just announced every big hit that came out in the 90s. What about Forrest Gump? Oh, yeah. Good film. Mm, Forrest Gump. Good film. So they say Shawshank Redemption didn't uh, win any Oscars or awards because um, Forrest Gump came out the same year. Yeah. It didn't. Sure no, one, no one went and saw Shawshank, no. did they? It was, it was it, kind of a... Can you blame them, mate? <laughs> <laughs> 
it tanked. It tanked in the cinemas because they reckon because of the title, people didn't really get it or understand what it was about. But then it was when it, it kind of became a big thing through home video, through word of mouth, and then became this huge cult hit. Yeah. Through that, which was which shows you if it flops on YouTube, there's hope yet. <laughs> there we go, mate. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to Penn Station. <laughs> we like it. Back, we love New York. Back to uh, the construction chat on the World's Best Construction Podcast. Let us know what you think of this episode, guys. Uh, talk to us all about the Arctic City where everyone cycles, the Penn Station upgrade, the billionaire bridge row. We'd love to hear what you think about that. Send in your emails, podcast at theb1m.com. Take care. Have a great week. We will see you again next time.